Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and event techies. My name is Tess Vismel, and this is the Event Tech Pull Up. I'm from iSocial Execution, and my partner in crime is da -da 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 -da. Boom. Keith Johnston, Planner Wire, Managing Partner, i3 Events. Keith. That, that, that was my James Bond voice. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Keith, it hasn't been a wild week. I mean, I'm just saying. We always kick off with news, but it has been a wild, wild week. You have event props all over who are not only trying to figure out uh, what was what they missed <laughs> by, uh -huh. way, by way of income, trying to apply for loans for things, right? Hopefully forgiveness loans, unemployment, any of those things. Trying to create consortiums, collectives, all kinds of things to bring business back for our new normal future or whatever that is gonna look like, right? As we are able to uh, connect that. And then there's just like and, the basic things, you know, when do I go to the bathroom after being on Zoom for so long? And, <laughs> and, there's, a, and there's a whole lot of them that were yelling about my post from the one that you mentioned last week. <laughs> well, see, <laughs> they should remember I outed you first. So I uh -huh. guess it's my fault, but you're the one who, who hit sin when you posted it, which I think is I phenomenal. Know. So hopefully for those of you all who don't know what we're talking about, you'll go over to Planner Wire's uh, blog and take a look at all of the action that's been going on from there. Yes. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I need to get away from that for a little while. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So on to the news of the day. <laughs> What's our yes. first, first one, Keith? So uh, the, the big tech news, I think, um, the, or the, the thing that excited me the most this week um, is the announcement that Facebook will be rolling out free video calling for up to 50 people. Did you um, say video calling? Okay, yes, so that they have a new feature called Messenger yeah. Rooms, um, Messenger. which will, uh, yes. Uh, now, do I think uh, from, a, from a meetings and events standpoint and from a boardroom standpoint, is this thing does it make an impact on that? So does it impact um, the digitels and the, and the zooms of the world? No, probably not. But I, I think on a, on a day to day basis, I think that so many people are familiar and are used to Facebook. Um, you know, it, it actually will help those other entities in the long run because it's going to get more people comfortable with using their devices to do video. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think that I think that rather than you know the zooms of the world shouldn't look at this as as competition. It's kind of almost like a gateway drug into those other platforms. It will make that guy that or or gal that sits at the head of the board table more comfortable with doing a virtual event because yeah. they're now going to get used to doing video. Absolutely. I mean, you could probably do it in groups. You could group people together and do it um, with all of the affinity groups that you already have in place. Um, for those of you who do remember or don't remember, you know, Facebook owns WhatsApp, which is my favorite tech known to man. Most people don't realize that that is. Um, you can do video calls in there with the groups that you have currently. Um, so, and you can do audio messages as well. So with Facebook on the messenger side, which is, as Keith said, this is going through messenger. This is just kind of like amps it up and lets you do a little bit more engaging to that. So that's cool. cool and cool. you've got a cool news item, I know. <laughs> Oh, and, 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 and it's and it's a fun one. <laughs> this is really fun. So I hope I pronounce everything right. So Borussia, so I'm going to say Borussia, and I'm not going to say the next one because I might mess this up. Uh, Mangchelo Gladbach, 
um, on perfect Channel perfect fans so we'll just say Barusha fans have paid for cardboard cutouts get that cardboard cutouts of themselves to fill the stadium in Bundesliga Bundesliga official uh, matches uh, and they will resume behind closed doors so they'll be able to do the matches in the games right so with the fans and the seats instead of them physically sitting in with these them, cutouts they got these little cutouts and, and uh, now we know now we can't see it but I'm gonna put up a nice picture of this so that everyone can see this if they're watching this on YouTube absolutely, um, absolutely. It, it is really cool. It, 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 and as of yesterday, Keith, guess what? They had 2,000 already in place and it need another, at least another 6,000 on the way. So That is cool. Imagine that. So, but that brings into to account some elements, though, Keith, if you think about it, right? So they, they would have had to use some sort of technology as the um, team to communicate out to the fans, hey, you can't yep. physically come to us, but hey, this is a way in which you can use technology to create these cutouts of yourself, right? So there's some printer, so they fuel the local economy, because you know how I am about thinking local. They fuel the local economy to send these to them so they have the printouts done. And then someone physically was able to go in and place them in the seat that they purchased. How creative is that? Very cool. It, 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 you know what? It's fun. And you know what? I think right now, everyone at, at anywhere needs just a touch of fun. Just a touch of fun. Just a with, touch of fun. A little which, bit. <laughs> which is a nice segue into my next one, which is not, there's no fun. <laughs> um, which is, I actually, I, I read uh, in a couple different places, but it was Miami Herald uh, who did the, um, the initial, it's a story about COVID-19 and cruise ships. Uh, and I have actually planned a number of conferences on cruise ships. Um, I think three, which isn't a plethora, but it's more than one. Um, but reading through it, it's, it's actually pretty sobering. Uh, and I think that it, it, we should learn from it, right? Because large convention hotels, um, you know, especially ones that are, you know, the only game in town, right? You go to some places, uh, you know, on the West Coast where, where the hotel is where people go, right? You know, whether right. it's in Mexico, but that's it, right? They get there and they stay there for multiple days. Right. You know, I think we need to learn from this because I think that going forward, once we come start to come out of COVID-19 and people start to meet again, um, you know, you don't want, you know, all these people from all over the globe going to this one property where they're there for days and days and days, and then they bring it back home. And we, because I mean, wave two is coming, I guess, don't be the one that starts wave two. <laughs> right. Exactly. I mean, you know, all of this was prophesized many, many, many years ago from people, you know, I don't want to talk about that piece, but it's been prophesized. So we do have to get ready for the fact that if another wave comes, you know, when another wave comes is the space yeah. that I'm trying to live in, because I don't want to live in a space that thinks that this is just it and you know absolute uh, we do need to be ready and our hotels at the sea as we call cruise ships you know that industry has just i really feel bad for them so hopefully um what's we can left look at in them. that industry absolutely we can uh look at maybe repurposing some of those cruise ships into you know um as you know we we will talk about a little later in our segment which i'm really excited about a public and partner a private partnership of refitting, re-outfitting, or rethinking about how we do business. Um, and, 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 and who who's coming up in our next segment? 
oh my gosh, Keith, 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 how in the world did we do this? But we have, <laughs> we have landed on Congressperson, and yes, I did say person, Congressperson Mike Quigley. Um, I am excited to have him and, here. And I am a fanboy, so Oof. there you go. <laughs> well, I'm really excited because he, he, he has chosen to put his efforts towards the intelligence community, cybersecurity, and the like. And for those of you who know, I'm extra geeky-ish, ish, uh, closet, closet geek, real geek. Um, so we're really happy to have him. You're, you're the real deal when it comes to geek. <laughs> can't do all the things that real geeks do, but I'm working on it, believe me. <laughs> In my mind, I can We're, do we're it. trying. <laughs> Definitely. So, uh, Keith, without further ado, we're going to move to our next segment. So, I am going to introduce to you Congressperson Mike Quigley, who is the U.S. Representative for Illinois' Fifth uh, Congressional District, which includes Chicago's North Side, and I am from Chicago's South Side, as well as several other cities western of the western suburbs. As a member of Congress, he serves on the Appropriations Committee and the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. As part of the Select Committee, he is also on the Subcommittee for Strategic Technologies and Advanced Research. In addition, he also teaches environmental policy and Chicago politics at Loyola University. And if I could also say, he spends time with the lovely kids of Chicago, and we're very happy to have him. You. So, Yes, we're actually very glad that you took time out of your busy schedule. We know that things in uh, D.C., um, you guys actually have a lot on your plate. So, again, thank you so much for taking time out of, out of your day to be with us. You know, for those who watched the NFL draft, uh, I think the highlight was uh, kids and dogs in the background, <laughs> seeing people's different backgrounds. It's uh, <clears throat> behind me is a painting, is a photograph uh, taken in 1863 of the, uh, the Capitol Dome being constructed in Washington, D.C. Um, at a difficult time in our nation's history, we were uh, building a dome uh, symbolizing all that we were trying to accomplish at the same time. So I guess it's appropriate that it's there now as we go through another trying time. Yeah, and this actually and it hasn't been an easy time for, for, you know, for all industries, you know, and, and Tess and I speak to our industry, but I think, I think that, um, yeah, it's been hit hard. Um, but Tess, I'll let you go ahead and, and get us started because I know that, um, yeah, totally lost my train of thought. So just go ahead. <laughs> no, let me, let, let well, me say this too. As you mentioned that, let me just say that I think the mistake that people make is that they don't understand that before all the other Roman numerals in this outline, the heading is and will be, this is a public health crisis. Yes. Right? This CARES Act that we passed a month ago and the... Uh, follow-up 3.5 that we passed just a couple days ago, uh, they aren't stimulus measures. Uh, they are public health measures. They are uh, survival measures for, from a health point of view and from an economic point of view. I mean, there's a reason that there's $150 billion for uh, hospitals and healthcare providers and protections and testing in the first and billions more in the second measure. If anyone thinks they can 
uh, effectively talk about recovery, economic revival after this without getting the virus under control. They're just mistaken and they're gonna make big mistakes. And what we're seeing across the world in the country is those who forget about that, uh, they're gonna trip up. So I, I want the economy rolling as quickly as possible. It's impossible for that to take place. And, and it won't happen until we get the virus in check. And that begins with testing and taking care of our providers and those most vulnerable in our society. Obviously the measure does other things uh, that we can talk about that restores people and maintains uh, people's economic viability. Um, you know, it extends and expands unemployment insurance. We talk about uh, PPP and other small business measures as well as helping the airlines and so forth. But that, none of those things matter. And it's frankly money wasted long-term uh, until we get the virus in check. Well, um, I, I really appreciate you giving us that intro and setting the tone for the things and the questions that we have for you today, because I think they, they blend really, really well. So our first question to you is, you know, can we think about our business and the events business and about bringing people together, which we do on an ongoing basis for many years, but we know um, now we must stay apart. You know, there's this coin term of social distancing, if you will. And it's frustrating for Americans, especially in our industry, who we talk to all the time, and it's divided us to whether or not um, we should open the country or not, or open businesses or not. So some have chosen to take this to the streets, like in Michigan, which is not far from you in your area, or hurl racist texts messages to the Atlanta mayor, which is my mayor, Keisha Bottoms, and towards her 12-year-old son. And in addition, even reopening the state of Georgia, which my governor, Kemp, has done. So what can we do to get our country on the same page when many of them refuse to rely on the science, the facts, and even so history? And I'm so glad you mentioned the photograph in the back, because that's a historical time um, in our U.S. And I think people forget about what happened back then. To, to to defeat our common viral enemy, as we mentioned, so we begin to create a new future, not backwards, but a new future. Sure, look, uh, and again, it's appropriate to have the capital under construction in the background, because the present at the time was attempting to appeal to the better angels of our nature, and that's what we must do. Look, it's not gonna sink in with everyone, but it's clear when we look at the science and the facts, that uh, this is a very dangerous vi virus, extraordinarily transmissible, and uh, there's still a lot we don't know. We don't know for sure if it's endemic. We don't know what's gonna happen in the fall. We don't know when we're gonna get a vaccine. Uh, we are learning things from Asia and other countries that uh, we don't know for sure that uh, you can't get the virus again, but that the antibodies may or may not help. So with all all those also teaching us uh, in other countries that um, when the numbers go down because of physical distancing, as soon as they, they bring people back together, those numbers are bumping right back up. We, we were attempting to flatten the curve for a reason. That is, wasn't to overwhelm our hospital healthcare system. Uh, Chicago totally revamped McCormick Place uh, as a really a large hospital almost overnight. Uh, and fortunately, that hasn't been needed. But if we go too quickly without the proper systems in place, uh, we'll devastate our healthcare system and any hope of recovery will be put back for a significant period of time. So 
So obviously we have to be smart about this, educate and inform the public to the extent possible. And you're right, it's gonna get tougher as the weather gets warmer, uh, people are getting cabin fever and wanna get out. We're gonna have to find creative ways to stagger the economy open and uh, to allow for physical distancing uh, and still have social interaction that takes place at the exact same time. It is a very tough uh, needle of thread at this time, uh, but we've actually got to be smart about this because the dangers are extraordinary here. Yeah, well, and, you know, and I'll, I'll piggyback on that, on that question. You know, I, you know, you're absolutely right. We don't want to open up too quickly because if you go right into an event like a CES, Consumer Electronics Show, um, you know, or what I was at earlier this year, this year, right at the beginning of the year, the International Builder Show, you're talking 100,000, 200,000 people coming in from all over the world. And then they're going back to their respective homes, you know, and, and you don't want this thing, you know, to, to, to spin back out of control. You know, in a lot of places, you know, Illinois, for example, you know, we have, we are flattening the curve, we are getting it down, you know, and, and that's the trend we need to do. And I think I, it is my hope that everyone in the industry can understand that. Um, and, you know, will not rush back to, um, you know, having a lot of these events um, as soon as possible because it may not be the best move. And I, I, I want to remind, I think I'm speaking to the choir here, but, you know, when we see folks out on beaches again, you know, for someone who thinks, well, I'm 21, 22, I'm healthy, I don't have this, you know, it's inherently selfish. The fact of the matter is uh, you could be a spreader and bring it back to people who are far more vulnerable, people who are older, comorbidity. Um, we also understand the nursing homes. So to get back to that place, well, as we stagger this economy open, phase it back open, we're going to have to have three things, testing, testing, and testing. Now, uh, relations to that are tracing, but also at the same time, we don't have the systems in place to protect our most vulnerable, right? Those with these comorbidities, uh, particularly uh, and this is reflecting the inequality in our country, frankly, people of color who are disproportionately being impacted uh, by the virus. We don't have the systems in place to protect them. We should probably be doing closer to what a million tests uh, that we're a day instead of the numbers are at. Those at the front lines of the healthcare, providing healthcare, uh, those who are first responders, and those, frankly, who are checking you out at the grocery store and making deliveries and so forth. Again, we don't have those systems in place. And for those who are anxious to move back, open this up, uh, even if you're not putting yourself at risk, you're putting so many others uh, at risk uh, to increase the death levels. Yeah. So, and to, to spin us in a, you know, you had talked a little bit earlier about the PPP. Um, you know, like most large industries, the, the meetings and event space, um, we have a lot of giants, right? We got the Marriott's and the C events and the PSAVs of the world um, that have access to programs and capital markets, uh, you know, to help them through the rough times. And after the first round of, I, I guess we didn't want to call it stimulus, but, you know, many of the smaller event production companies, you know, the independent planners and the event tech startups, um, kind of felt forgotten, right? They, you know, they would get into, you know, try to get into Chase or, or Bank of America, whatever it was, and they, they weren't able to, to act, get in and access any of that because, you know, you had companies like Ruth's Chris, you know, and again, that's a very small part of a larger, larger package, but, you know, how will the new stimulus package, you know, you know, how do you want it to help those smaller companies? 
companies that are in the industry so that when we come out of this at some point, and we will, um, you know, so that they can keep their doors open um, because they are a large part of the meetings and events industry. Sure. I mean, in the measure we passed this week, uh, we had a little more thought and understanding and practice. That first uh, CARES Act was passed uh, within the nine-day period. <laughs> Here you are passing a couple trillion dollars, an extraordinary amount of money, but we were being told by some of the leading economic and financial experts in the world that every dollar spent then was as important as $4 spent a month later because the need was so acute and we needed to restore uh, and you know, protect people at that point in time. So we understood that and there were a lot of gaps. So I, I do want the industry to know from top to bottom that we understand there's still gaps, there's still ways to go. Um, as the Democratic caucus meets um, in situations very similar to this, it is all the discussion how to capture and protect everyone uh, in the economy. So uh, this 3.5 measure we passed restores and adds a lot of money. Uh, the total is $483.4 billion. So it restores the money that PPP and other programs uh, have in their, in their pockets to, to allow the banks to continue this. But it also has a couple set-asides. Um, 60 billion of this pot is set aside for smaller lenders under bank communities, the acronym CDFIs and um, uh, MDIs and others. So we tried to make sure that there was money set aside from them. But we're learning that even within that group that are gonna be eligible for that $60 billion, there are groups that are underfunded who aren't gonna be able to have uh, the thresholds that are in this law. So we're hoping that we go back again in May and pass what we would call 4.0, which will be a larger, bigger bill, including um, infrastructure, for example, yeah. that sets aside language and includes specific details that only CDFIs and some of the other non-traditional bank lenders. You know, I get it. Groups like yours, but I, also with our district, we hear and it's true in everybody's neighborhood. There's candy stores, dry cleaners, yeah. pizza parlors, bike shops. And, you know, the, the banks weren't obviously running to go take care of those smaller loans. We need people who, we need people uh, eligible for five or 10 or 15 or $20,000 loans all the way up. Also, we're hoping in the next week or two, there is a uh, combination of the Fed and Treasury. They're going to be opening up uh, the Main Street loan program. That's gonna be from a million dollars and up. And it's gonna be for uh, companies that have uh, payrolls larger than 500. So they're not eligible for the SBA. So that's another gap here that we're hoping gets taken up. And there'll be a lot of reserves and opportunities there uh, for lending. We still recognize even within that group that they need some of this forgivable loans. We're trying to modify those programs as well. What the businesses are telling me was there's an emergency grant program for $10,000 that's forgivable. And uh, that's really important for a lot of people in your industry and uh, people who aren't, as you say, really well capitalized. Now that's an extraordinary help right at the beginning. They don't want to just add debt. Right. And as, as you know, the PPP program uh, will forgive almost the entire loan if you meet thresholds of people you keep on the payroll. So the point's well taken. 
What we need is ongoing communication with all the industries, including yours. Let us know what are we missing? What do we still have to do? We recognize that we're going to be addressing this need probably for the next several years. Yeah. Well, that's a great segue to my next one. Thank you so much for that. Um, and it's really talking about our industry and the fact that we run on data, you know, which I know is a sweet spot for you um, uh, and a lot of it. And our websites, our apps, they collect a lot and loads and loads of data from attendees when you kind of think about um, information uh, before and then, you know, post, or if I call this now post COVID-19. And everyone, including your grandma, is typing their personal information into phones, tablets, um, you yes, name I, it. <laughs> I got my, I got my five-year-old mom on Zoom last night. <laughs> oh, see, see, see. And, and with the new security measures, she's got a type of name and email address, right? Um, and then we think of GDPR, which uh, Keith and I are very much in favor of, and, thought, and we watched that whole thing evolve. And while not it's a perfect system, because nothing is perfect when it's, when it's new, um, but it was a step in the right direction in protecting that personal information. So our question is, should the federal government play a role in creating the standards, or should we let the states handle it, like, for instance, uh, what happened in California? Look, California is so huge in its economy compares to a worldwide basis. Obviously, it was important that they do this. But as you're aware, this is a, a, a globalized economy, and clearly uh, anything through the internet in and around is going to be involved at the same time. So I, I guess the better way for me to answer is to say that the federal government has to play a role. Yeah. The problem is uh, we're not there yet. All right? We saw what took place in Europe, and again, while not perfect, was an important first step. The same is true in California. The bad news is uh, I think Senator Cantwell introduced uh, – uh, just lost. There we go. Um, so Senator Cantwell did introduce legislation addressing this, uh, the Consumer Privacy Act in November. I'll be honest, it's got a long way to go. Uh, there's such competing factions here, uh, and I don't think there's agreement within the Republican Party. I don't think there's agreement within the Democratic Party. So uh, it's something we absolutely have to do. It's an amazing parallel because the cybersecurity and the issues that you're talking about in these privacy acts are all playing out at the same time. And the tragedy of the, of the virus is it's forcing us to think about all these things uh, as we address them. As, you know, 9-11 uh, did, and as the Russians attack on our democratic process did, it had to do with uh, cybersecurity and privacy issues all playing out at the same time. Uh, they're extremely important and complicated, and we have to think about our, our protection of the economy, our own privacy, and, uh, you know, those that would uh, attack it. So the final point to this is one of the things the virus taught us is that this is only going to be effective if we're coordinating and communicating with the rest of the world. The reason this has gone as poorly as it has so far, in part, is because there was not good communication, there was not good coordination between us and our world partners. And clearly there hasn't been on a state, national, even local level. And so that same type of activity has to take place when we develop privacy protections that you talk about with what this, this law would be. Yeah, and, and you know, 
And to the infrastructure that's going to come afterward, right? Um, you know, and again, yeah, I, I guess when the whole, when the whole building or the when, the, when the whole forest is on fire, which, which fire do you fight first, I guess, but you know, <laughs> you know other countries right now, um, at least up until COVID-19, we're actually surpassing us. You know, I say steamrolling right over us when it comes to upgrading the technology infrastructure. Um, I think the U.S. ranks somewhere about 15th uh, in average internet speeds. Um, you know, what role can the federal government play, uh, you know, as we get forward to, to keep on technology infrastructure to keep us competitive so that the large internet, when this is all over, those large international conferences you know, are going to look at us to come and spend their dollars um, rather than going to Spain or to the UK or, or you know, Asia. Um, you know, wh what, sure. role could, what, what role can the government play? Look, uh, we saw with 4G just what it meant for our economy and how the United States led the way. The concerns we have is with 5G, China is so far ahead of us. And I see 5G advertised on billboards and so forth. I go, what are they talking about? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Keith and I we, say it all the time. <laughs> we are not close to being there. Deceptive to tell the American people that they're using 5G. Right. The matter is, we are way behind China and uh, the two other companies that, at the very least, you could consider compete are competing with China are not U.S.-based companies. And our companies seem to be doing very well on profits, but they are not leading the way on innovation. So uh, I think your point is well taken. I. As you know, I serve on the Intelligence Committee. It is an extreme concern of the entire committee, committee and the intelligence community that we're behind because this isn't just an economic driver. It has a lot to do with our security and our national security. So the federal government, as it did with a lot of the things we look at, right? We think of moonshot. We, we give these things terms, uh, the Green New Deal. We give them grandiose terms of things that we did as a country in a dramatic fashion. And to your point, a, a lot of that was based on what the federal government did. We don't yeah. go to the moon without NASA. So right. it's a public-private partnership, but the federal government has to play a major role in a Manhattan-like project to give it another comparison. It's going to take yeah. that kind of effort and those kind of resources to compete. And frankly, right now we're not. It is an economic concern, and it is a national security concern. And we're talking about a big infrastructure deal next, 4.0. It makes all the sense in the world to include uh, this in that package. If we're going to do something big, do it now. At the time of our greatest economic downturn in our nation's history, the Great Depression, uh, we built big. We oh, yeah. Big. We can do the same thing right now. Well, you know, when it comes to technology, I just think about, you know, you know, in a perfect world, wouldn't it be nice? We have, you know, all of these people in technology and every that aren't working, you know, wouldn't it be great if they could kind of just turn that toward the greater good, right. you know, if we could find a way, you know, to get them out there, you know, improving the technology infrastructure um, for the whole country. It would be no, great. No, we're hearing about kids remote learning in a parking lot. It's the only way they can get an internet. Their parents are driving them to a parking lot near a building that has uh, access to the internet and get Wi-Fi, and they can get their, their uh, lessons for the day. That's just an inequality that has to end, but it's also setting us back competing against the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Tess, I well, know we did, we did have a question from, from a, someone who watches the show. <laughs> we do, we do. Uh, do you mind if we can take a question from our audience? Sure. 
All right. Okay. Perfect. So um, one of our listeners and uh, viewers, if you will, uh, her name is Rachel Boss. She's CEO of Synergy Cities. And I want to tell you a little bit about them because it kind of tie, it really does tie into some of the things that you talked about earlier. So Synergy Cities is a public and private partnership um, project developer, and they drive innovative business strategies and partnerships to tackle pressing social challenges by aligning government initiatives, business objectives, and community needs. So it's kind of that spoke that brings them all together. And they developed a pilot project, which we're really excited to talk about and hear, that will build a blueprint to convert hotels into skilled nursing telemedicine facilities to help struggling hospitals accommodate the quarantine and treatment for COVID cases, which are projected for the second wave of COVID-19 if it comes in we probably, uh, you know, people are saying that they are. That fall, it is. fall is coming. Uh, yeah, fall is coming. <laughs> and Susan G will help to pivot this, um, the event production and logistics and communication aspects of it by really truly leaning into our industry, the meetings industry, and all the skill sets, skill sets that we have of moving projects forwards, planning logistics, techno event technology. So kind of all of what we do to help um, these things happen. So her question is, we have largely loosened our HIPAA laws meant to protect patients in light of COVID-19 so that we could swiftly implement telehealth solutions. This will both innovate medicine and leave it vulnerable. In this wartime economy, the private sector has stepped up with solutions, but there are fears from the public around regulations. Knowing what we know now, how would you design the right way for, future, for the future of PPP? How would the process, infrastructure, and operations look for the private sector aligned to, to, to align and partner with the public sector? Uh, so this enables a strong, dynamic, efficient, and impactful execution. So I know that's a lot. And then if you could talk about possibly um, the protecting the innovations from physical and digital uh, vulnerabilities, so in a sense. Look, pa passing legislation is extraordinarily difficult. Uh, you know, with pluralistic society, a lot of different views of what should take place in the world. Uh, you've got to get a majority of 435, a majority of 100 in the Senate, which is very tough to do. You need a president to agree to it. And you, you've got to pass that measure. And it, most legislation passes as an evolution. And because it takes so much time, the technology changes behind it. In the meantime, the scenery is changing behind us at the same time. The real world changes. So when you pass measures like you know the HIPAA laws dealing with privacy, no one was thinking about these possibilities of telemedicine or, or anything that's happening right now. So when legislation has to change with the times. It's extraordinarily difficult to get that consensus and to do it so it still fits the need of, uh, needs of today. So uh, that's gonna be the challenge here. I, I still think we can do it. I still think we can protect privacy. But look, we were talking about telemedicine before the virus got here. Uh, there were real concerns uh, in, in my state, Illinois, of a bunch of rural hospitals closing down. Uh, and those threats are still there. Obviously, uh, they're getting strained considerably due to the virus, but they were economically anyway, and that's a situation across the country. But you also want people to have uh, access to the same quality healthcare, and telemedicine is a, is a big step in that direction. So 
we've got to help fund this and the research that goes with it. And we've got to change the laws and, and try to balance them to meet the need of what we're facing today. But it's another example of how the virus pushes us to do something that, you know, perhaps we were or were not doing before, but it forces that need and pushes us to get something done. The old expression, never waste a, a crisis, truly comes into play here. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, Tess actually mentioned, you said that same thing yesterday. Yeah. I did. I did. I definitely did. It's all about what the new, you know, what, what is our, what is, uh, how do we think locally, um, you know, and turn those efforts toward local infusing that economy, but then also, you know, this is this fertile ground for creativity and how do we go up, go up from now? Let's hope so. Yeah. Tess, you want to wrap us up? Absolutely. So, um, Congressman, quick, quickly, do you have a closing statement for our audience and our listeners? And then we'll close you up. I, I know it's difficult because the difference between this and other crises we face and what we're used to is, uh, you know, if this was a flood, you would go and meet together and you'd and you'd fill sandbags, and you could comfort each other. You could be close to each other, right? After a tornado, you can help people pick up the pieces of their life and literally put their house and their home and their family back together. And, and again, you could comfort people. This is forcing us against our, our basic instincts of wanting to be together to take care. After 9-11, you know, it was a, be brave, get on a plane, you know, or go out to eat, you know, drive the economy. Here we're forced to do what seems uh, counterintuitive and the antithesis of what our heart tells us to do. So it's a challenge and it's very frustrating and a lot of people are facing extremely difficult times and there's such a degree of uncertainty there. Uh, at this point in time, we have to, as you said, get creative, but appeal to the better angels of our nature, as we said, be smart, educate and inform each other. Uh, and move forward. We are going to get through this. Uh, I think the reason it's being it's this difficult right now is it was dramatically underestimated. It took a long time for this to sink in. The Saturday before Thanksgiving, they, uh, the restaurants and bars in my neighborhoods were packed where people nose to nose as this virus was starting to hit. And just now, I think the public gets it. So uh, we're going to do our part, but we need to hear from People in your industry, what are we missing? What else do we need to do? What else can we do to help? Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Representative Quigley, for taking time uh, to spend with our audience. And I want to, again, thank you for the things that you're doing from a heart place uh, for us on a local state as well as a national level. Well, so, I tell people, stay close, but not too close. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And for our audience, this has been the Event Tech Pull-Up. My name is Tass Vismel from iSocial Execution, and my partner in crime is... Keith Johnston. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, from I, he's from i3 Events. We thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All right, audience, thank you so much for being with us today on the Event Tech Pull-Up. Please remember to share with your tribe, eventtechpullup.com. That's eventtechpullup.com. Our anchor hashtag is eventtechpullup, and our secondary hashtag is pullupwithus. <laughs>
Again, I am Tess from iSocialX, and this is... Keith with i3Events. We're happy to have you. Thank you. Have a great day.